0: was coming home from a trip recently and just driving down 87 and you know we had this luxury of traveling at 65 miles per hour it's really amazing when you look just a hundred years ago we go on a quick trip two and a half hours away that would have taken you know a hundred years ago may have taken days and and then beyond that would take weeks and so on And the Holy Spirit just spoke to me very quickly, and it was—I knew it was Him because it came out of nowhere. He just said, "Before we had cars, how did ministers preach?" And it was so quick and so sharp. And I said, "Wow, Lord!" And really, what He was telling me was, I didn't think I was rushing. I didn't think I was trying to do and go. And, you know, the Lord uses it with every technology and with everything that has been invented. uh, The devil tries to use it, right? The devil uses internet, that's for sure. The devil uses TV, that's for sure. Devil has used books too. The devil uses plays. But all of those things can be used for the Lord. So we can drive our car for the Lord or we can drive it for the devil. Um, You can drive a motorcycle for the devil and they have titles. You can drive it for the Lord. But what he was saying is, is just to rest in him. Just rest in me. There's no rush. Life has sped up, but my kingdom is my kingdom. My plan is my plan. The world around us speeds up, but the Lord was perfectly content with ministering by horseback only a hundred and change years ago. The minister got there when he got there, (laughs) And the people waited. And that was just, I didn't plan on saying any of that, but I just believe we need to get into such a place of rest with Him. We need to be in a place of rest with the Holy Spirit. A place where we're directed by Him. It doesn't mean, you know, sometimes life gets busy. And we shouldn't then say, oh, this is the devil, necessarily. It might just be a busy season. There is that. But we shouldn't live like that. We're always running, 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 even for the kingdom, even for the kingdom, because we can get busy and we could be spinning our wheels and the amount of people that would be reached in that community would be exactly the same because the heart, whether we get there quick or it took us a long time to get there, <laughs> is going to be the same exact heart that's going to receive him or not. We don't dictate who receives him. We just represent him. But there's such a rest that the Lord wants us to have in him. And at the same time, as I just felt in worship, there's this balance. And I really believe the Lord is bringing so many things into balance. He needs to, we need to be in balance. This fast really actually taught me some balance. I said, wow, some things are out of whack. <laughs> Don and I got talking about all kinds of things, just that you get busy, you get doing, etc., right? Your, your lifestyle, your, your food lifestyle, actually, when you look at your diet and your needs, what your body actually needs. As the fast ended, I wasn't as hungry for lunch because I had skipped so many of them. I realized, wow, my body doesn't, I'm going to eat because I feel tired, but it doesn't need it as much as it did before. So need is so relative. It really is. And we can be... He wants us into a place of rest, but also the balance of not being asleep. We need to find that balance where we're resting in him, but we're not asleep. (laughs) That can only be done through the Holy Spirit. And that's why I'm just picking this sermon up again. I just want to look at, just want to read this verse, and then we're going to springboard from here. But Jesus said that there was a people coming, there was a time coming in John chapter 4, verse 23. He said, the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now. Everybody say, it's here now. It's here now. It was here 2,000 years ago when he spoke this word to this woman. And it is here today. Yes. Amen. It said, when true worshipers, everybody say, true worshipers, true worshipers. will worship the Father in spirit And in truth, it says the Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way. This is the true worship to be worshiping Him in spirit and in truth. And these last two weeks, what I've been establishing is that worship, and it's so funny. Wow. I started writing this sermon a couple weeks ago, uh, I mean, this series. And I preached it and then I preached it again. And then this week we were doing a long drive to work and I, I wanted an audible book to listen to. So I was like, hmm, I don't know what to listen to. I wasn't seeing anything, in the suggestions I liked. And then all of a sudden I was like, I like John Bevere. Let's see if he's got any books I want to read. And I see Drawing Near. I was like, oh, I remember that from 18 years ago. So I grabbed it, just bought it. And then we started listening to it. If you go and read this book, you would swear I plagiarized this entire book. Not only what I preached on the last two weeks, but what I was thinking during the week I was going to get it to was in there. And I just said, thank you, Holy Spirit. I mean, I wasn't like, oh, I didn't feel led by the Holy Spirit. This is the leading. This is that rest in the Holy Spirit. You don't need to feel any nudges. Let me go find that book. It was just let me get a book, and the Holy Spirit was doing it on his own. But I was so amazed because he was talking about us drawing near. It takes it from James, which says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And then goes into all the avenues of what that means. And he says, worship is not a slow song. And it's so true because we had just talked about that. Maybe not in those exact words, but it's not a slow song. We can we you know, he said for those of you who don't know and starts explaining what praise and worship is. Praise is the fast song, worships the slow songs. <laughs> in the modern church, that's all the modern church knows. But worship is so much more than that. Worship is a lifestyle. It's an every day, every moment lifestyle. And we looked at Abraham, how it symbolized. It was sacrifice. It was obedience. And not just sacrifice and obedience, but of the most precious part of you. Every single part of you. Your own flesh and blood must die. And that's what it tells us in Romans 12.1. It says, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. And it says, let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. And the more traditional text says, which is your reasonable service. And I love how the NLT translates it. It says, this is truly, or I would say, this is the only way to worship him. Reasonable. I looked up the Hebrew word for the Greek word where we get this idea from, whether it's NLT or New King James or King James, and it's talking about this is what's required of you. This is it. This is what it means. The way we worship, the, the, our service to him, our worship to him, what's required of us is to lay our lives down. And that's what the Lord is looking for. He's looking for this person that lays their life down to him. And that's truly what it means to be a worshiper of God. A true worshiper is one who has laid their life down. Everybody say, to worship means to lay your life down. And something begins to happen when we worship God, doesn't it? Not just worship during a song, but when we just give the Lord everything, what happens? We start sensing God's presence. There is nothing like God's presence. In fact, if you've been doing God without his presence, like just doing church and living life and, oh, I'm a believer, without his presence, it's very hard, isn't it? His presence really makes all the difference. It's the glue that just holds it all together. And there's no such thing really as Christianity without his presence, He loves those without his presence just as much as he loves those that want his presence. His love never changes. I just, hopefully I can express what I want to say today. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 14, it says this little verse that we usually breeze over these verses because they're either intros or closings. And it says, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, or you may know it as, and the communion, which is the same thing, this communion, this fellowship of the Holy Spirit, be with you, does it's word say? All. all. This is an every believer. And these are those verses again, right? Who has read your word and you breeze past the intros, breeze past the closings. Oh, I don't need to know, he's just talking to so-and-so. It has nothing to do with me, Phoebe, and Chloe. And if you know, Right? <laughs> We do. Come on, it's funny because you know we've all done it. But it's this fellowship, this relationship that is supposed to be with all. And specifically, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship, and the communion, the relationship with the Holy Spirit be with you all. May all of you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. You know the grace of the Lord. You understand the love of God. But do you have communion with the Holy Spirit? Do you have fellowship with Him? Salvation is is incredible. It is really unfathomable. What Jesus did for us on the cross is, is beyond our thinking, and I'm going to bring up another Ephesians prayer. brought up the Ephesians prayers last week, and there's so much good in Ephesians. But this is it's just unfathomable what Jesus did for us on the cross with his blood. But he saved us for so much more than eternities. I started alluding to last week. He paid a price to have relationship with us. Now, when I was growing up as a, as a Christian kid and you just still, you're learning and you don't, you don't know, you know, you have lines. You know the word, but you don't know God that well yet. You're still learning, but there's lines you know. And we would say something like, we'd say, it's not religion, it's relationship. It's a nice thing to say. It's another thing to put that into practice. It takes everything actually. To not be religious and to have a relationship with God will require what Romans 12:1 says of you and it will require everything. But it's really the only way. If you start looking at the scriptures, there is no other way. In fact, religion was so disgusting to God that Jesus came you have to understand what Jesus did. There was already a system of religion in place. The system of religion didn't work. Religion is this is what we have to do. Jesus said, I'm going to take away the axe, and I'm going to create a way that if they'll get it, and I want to look at Ephesians, it's something you have to have a revelation of. If you can get this, they're going to want to do the same commandments, really, not the linen and the cotton and, the, and the, the regulation laws, but the commandments of moral law. Well, they'll want to do those same ones that are required in the law, the letter of the law. But they'll want to do it because they're going to encounter my love personally. That's what Jesus did on the cross. Eternity is a benefit. And as I said last week, eternity starts the moment you commit your life to Jesus Christ. The moment you say yes to him, eternity is begun. We don't die. The Bible says that death happened when sin entered the world. We are already dead, and Jesus resurrects us to life. And now we are living in the body, the shell, this tent will pass away, but the person inside of you, your spirit that has had a relationship with Jesus through the Holy Spirit in God, that person will live forever and ever, starting at the moment of your commitment to him. So I just want to talk to you in in this next bit for this word intimacy. Now, the world has a skewed view of intimacy just as they do of everything. They have a skewed view of what love is too. Love is not what the world defines. Love is what the Bible defines. We need to be careful. I'm perfectly okay With going to the dictionary and looking up what a word means. I have no problem with that, neither does Jesus. But we need to be careful that we don't define concepts and words by the dictionary or by our culture or by the time we live in. But we must define the words by the word. Come on. We need to define. His word (laughs) by His word. All right. He created love. He is love. We don't let the world define love. God is love. That's the definition. Love? God is love. It's His very DNA. God is love. And we need to be intimate with Him. And some people think you could be a Christian but not be intimate. That's another level. That's not true. I will say it again because I already stated it, but I will say it every single week. Jesus' love for you doesn't change. If he could love you more, he would. Isn't that incredible? (laughs) If there was any more love left in Jesus for you, he would give it. Because the Bible gives us this clear picture that God withheld nothing. There's a very clear picture in his word. He withheld nothing. He said even his own son for us. So his love doesn't change for you. It's our love towards him. And I just want to start to paint this picture of what a relationship looks like. Everybody say, takes two. two. Love takes one. Did you know that love does not require another party? Love takes one. Because Jesus said, and and I'll look at it, hopefully, maybe, but in John 15, he said, love is laying down your life for another you lay your life down for another that's love love does not require anything back love is one sided love does not respond and and we can go there's many definitions there's 1st Corinthians chapter 13 too we just don't have time and you can look up some more definitions for love but I'll just paraphrase all of them at once it does not require anything of the other party or parties love is something that comes from one it comes from one and is extended out from you relationship takes two it takes two to have a relationship Jesus actually is weeping for his church Jesus weeps for his people Those that just come in, in religious, they breeze in, they sing some songs, quote some scripture, have some handshakes, have a little bit of fellowship together, but don't have relationship with him. But intimacy... See Dorna, now we we talk about this as husband and wife. Just talking about this, started talking about this concept this week. We've been together now this month for seventeen years. And I'm going to do the classic pastor thing, but I really mean it—that I love her more today than I did yesterday. Amen. But I mean it. I know that that's so pastor cliche, but I really mean it. But intimacy is not the bedroom. It's not just a worship experience with God. It's so much more than that, isn't it? Husbands and wives, if it was only the bedroom, well, wives, husbands have a different picture sometimes of what intimacy is. But let's ask the women. If it was just the bedroom, they'd say, you'd hear the lock on the door very quickly. <laughs> You're heading towards that door and it's going to get locked because it's so much more. It started so much further. There is a a connection that has happened long beyond the physical part of it. Don't say I'm weird comparing it to husband and wife because that's exactly what Ephesians 5 says. That our relationship with Jesus. Now Paul says it's a mystery. Don't ask me. He wasn't even married, so he's like, I have no idea. I just stayed away from the whole thing. But it is. I don't get it. But it's a mystery that two flesh can become one. It's a mystery. It's a double mystery, husband and wife. But the 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 greater mystery. He says, I'm speaking of Christ. This mystery that Jesus and us, his bride. Do you know that we're his bride? The Bible calls us his bride. I'm going all over my sermon, but this is, the Bible says, thank you, Lord. We are the bride of Christ. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2, it says, I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. He said, this is Paul writing to the church, and he's warning them of, you know, some getting off and getting into other things and, and, and starting to love different Jesuses and different gospels. And he warns them, he says, I promised you as a pure bride, or you may know it as a chaste virgin, untouched, there is no one else and nothing else. It is just you and him. I promised you, he said, as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. And he said, verse 3, But I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted. You hear this? There is a pure and undivided devotion that Christ is looking for that Paul is yearning for the church here to have. And he said, I fear that it could be corrupted just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of of the serpent. He said, you happily put up with whatever anyone tells you, even if they try to preach a different Jesus than the one we preach, or a different kind of spirit than the one you received, or a different kind of gospel than the one you believed. This is so powerful, because what he's saying here is that Jesus is our husband, and we are his bride. And just as a husband and wife have to protect each other and protect that sacredness to their relationship, he warns us here in Corinthians that things, and we'll just categorize it as things because there's a lot. It can come from any angle devil is not limited to one angle. It comes from, it'll come in the church. It'll come from the world, come in your workplace. It can come in just you being busy. It can come in just you being looking at other things, come in you getting actually uh, too interested in Christian books and not in the Christ of the books. Come on, and I'm not, that's not limited to those things. But there is a purity, the purity, the virgin that he's looking for, undivided, separated, and this place of intimacy is what he's looking for. That is the bride of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. And he's looking for this place with us today. In fact, I'm just going to not worry about the order here. Hopefully you can follow. But when you get into this place of intimacy with God, there, it's a special place. There is a special place for you and God. There's so much, if for husbands and wives, it's easier to understand than if I was teaching maybe a 15-year-old. It's harder to understand. But there is this place between the bride and the groom, us in Christ, that he desires, that you would desire with your spouse, that is Protected. There is protection in that place. There is, an the intimacy is the secrets of your heart are only going to be revealed to that person. Intimacy reveals the real person you are, right? We all put on a face for everybody else. We put on a face as we came here to church, and the Lord's not offended at that. Because the people here, there's only so far in your intimacy, you're going to go with people. But your spouse, they're going to see the real you, the full you, right? Everybody's laughing. <laughs> I'm seeing him smiling. But that's amazing. That's the place that Jesus wants with you. The place with him where you just, you don't hold back from him. Would you hold back from your spouse? When you do... Don't let me know um, that we're not intimate right now. I'm holding back. I'm carrying the burdens. I'm carrying the weak. I'm carrying stuff. I'm carrying junk. And she feels it. I don't need to say it. When the Lord senses that you've got other stuff on your mind other than him, I mean, he tells us, why are you worrying? Why are you fearing? Right? Yoke with me. Come join with me. And that's why he gets upset when he says, why are you worrying? Don't worry. Give them to me just as a husband and wife want each other to give each other everything. And this is amazing. In Psalm 91, you know, we look at this psalm as a place of protection, but it's actually a lot more than that. Psalm 91 says in verse 1, it says, those who live in the shelter or in the New King James, it says, he who dwells in the secret place. Everybody say the secret secret. place. There is a place in God that is secret. You bring God your secret things. You know, there's nothing hidden from him anyway. <laughs> when God came and said, hey, Adam, where are you? Do you think that God was actually wondering where he was? I swear, I made this guy. I, I know I left him right here. <laughs> I'm just, I said to, I said, I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, you got to check the freezer. <laughs> that's right. That's where everything lost is. He knew exactly where he was. What he was saying is, why are you hiding from me? Why are you hiding? Bring it to me. There's such an amazing place that God wants us to get to with him. There is a place of connection and Most of the time we miss it, but so do husbands and wives. And then you try again harder the next day. The next day you try to love each other a little more. You do miss it. He doesn't miss it. He already gave it all. The relationship is this. Jesus is love and he has loved us and he's shown us love and, and, and to get into that secret place, in fact, it says, it's not just a secret place, but actually this Hebrew word here for secret place means covering. You get into this place of covering, the covering of his love. And let's look, as I like to look at often, John 15, it says, as I just mentioned earlier, verse 13, he says, there's no greater love to lay down one's life for one's friends and he said, you are my friends. This is incredible. There's this covering. There's this place that he has welcomed us into. And he said, if you do what I command. He said, I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide. Everybody say confide. A master doesn't tell his slave secrets. There is a place undercover in God. There is a place where we know the intimate things of God. There is a place where we know what God's heart, right? Just as I wanted to compare friendship too, because I understand that not everybody has a spouse. So I also wanted to bring in the friend. And I would have done it in a little bit better order, but the Holy Spirit's just preaching but the same as a friend, you can have an intimate friend. There can be a friend that you have that is so close, like a spouse, that this is the only person or maybe two people in your life that you really share the deepest secrets in your heart to. There's very few that we do that. And that is that place that God is talking about. He said, you are not slaves. See, this is amazing. There's, I, just, I can't even preach it because it's so big. It's so hard for me to preach this here, but let's look at this picture. What does a slave do? A slave does tasks. A slave does whatever a master tells him to do. Well, that's interesting because the word tells us all kinds of things to do from cover to cover. And if you try to do his word as a slave, what does a slave usually think of his master? (laughs) We're laughing, but it's true. Sometimes our perception of God is only skewed because we miss that we don't need to be his slave. Now, but he, let's back up. What's he saying, in verse 14? What is the requirement? See, we say friend, we can't just define friend by the world. What is a friend defined by the Bible? What is a friend defined by the Bible? It says, if you do what I command, if you obey me. Jesus said, you're not a slave But in verse 14, he says, but you're my friend if you do what I command. (laughs) You're not a slave, but my friends are those who do what I command. This is amazing. The greatest friends in your life, and you find them out very quickly, who are real friends and who are acquaintances. I just wanted to touch on that. The acquaintance does it because I have to do it. I have to do such and such for you to help you, or they just don't at all. And then those of you thought were friends, when you really need them the most, the real friend is the one that pushes everything else aside. Actually, the real friend is not the one that comes and helps you when it's convenient for them. The real friend is the one who comes and helps you when it's very, very inconvenient. But they say, you know what? This is my friend. I I have no choice. And they push everything else aside and this is amazing. When you are a friend of God, you will do, you don't have to think about, Jesus, what did you commend me? You're not sitting home going, oh, I mean, you might, be, you might feel the burden. Oh, man, this is really going to mess up my day. But you do it out of love. Amen. It's not that it's convenient. You're like, well, wow, I'm going to love this. You don't love the task. The slave doesn't love the task, but you love the person. whoa. I mean, that is huge. The difference between the slave and the friend is that we still do what God has asked us to do. Not that it's convenient in our busy human life, but he's our friend. How do you become his friend? How does he call you friend? I just started, I just, like I said, this is, his word is deep, and it really takes so much uh, <laughs> time with Him, really, to just you come to this place with Him where it's hard to even express. And you can all identify with me that you can have, and I said it last week, when you have a revelation, everybody else just nods, okay, yeah, I understand that. I understand the concept of what you're saying. But the revelation in your heart is like, you just feel like fireworks going off. <laughs> like, no, you don't get it. And I love that the Lord does that. This, that's this place that he wants us to walk with when he speaks to you. Your heart explodes. And the difference between an, uh, an acquaintance and a friend is, and an acquaintance or a friend and, and a spouse is that it's choice. We choose. Jesus chose freely to give up his life for us. When we choose to do in our capacity we're not going to be able to do it in the same capacity and he doesn't ask us of that right who's got a friend in your life and nobody raised your hand but they are at you love them so much but they're just at a different level they require more of you than you require of them but you love them you don't think anything less of them you just know that there's more you they need more of you than you need of them and Jesus gave us everything we can only give him. He's like that. We're like that friend to him. He loves us so much, even though he knows, they're never ever going to be able to give me the same that I gave them. And he didn't do what he did because of his return. The benefit is for us, and he yearns for it. We get this incredible benefit of knowing, everybody say knowing, his love, and knowing him intimately. It is the benefit that if you neglect it, not only do you chance getting burned out and actually, in fact, even walking away from your faith completely, but you are living such a low, low, low base, slave-like Christianity. He didn't call us slaves. God's word is his word. I will not start, stop preaching his word. His grace is incredible. His mercy is incredible. But God is God. What God says is what God says. And I don't care what, how the culture changes and keeps changing. I'm going to keep preaching the truth of his word. But it doesn't mean that I need to be a hard preacher and just say, and bring a hammer down. If you become, I want it even greater. I'm trying to convey that if you become his friend and understand his love, if that love for you, that revelation starts getting into your heart, you don't have to try to obey. I don't have to try to be a good husband to Dawn. It doesn't mean that I'm perfect because we're learning. But I want to with everything in me. Naturally. That's my heart. So at the times where, as every husband and wife has done, and you, I'm going to think of a task that I've had to do that she normally has to do. There's not many. Sure. i preface it like that on purpose. But if I were to put the dishes away, even though that's her job, you know, and i preface it like that because that's not how it is. But let's just say I did something that she would normally do that was inconvenient for me. But I did it because I love her. Not because she said, are you going to put the dishes away? Because she doesn't. That's why I said it that way. But if I were to do it, it's because I love her. And if we obey Christ, he's not telling you, we can't get this, we got to be careful we don't get this backwards. We don't obey to become his friend. (laughs) Man, God's word's good. The Holy Spirit's definitely speaking. Just let him sink in, even if he doesn't feel like anything in the moment. The Holy Spirit is at work, big time today. You can't obey to become his friend. You have to fall in love with him now. How do we fall in love with him? This is what I'm trying to lead to this place. I'm just, I'm, I'm inching towards there. It says in Genesis 5, 23, that Enoch, everybody know Enoch. There's only a couple verses about him. The Bible says almost nothing about him. And yet this guy that we know almost nothing about, it says that he lived 365 years. And in verse 24, walking in close fellowship with God. It says that he walked with God. And God said, I can't take it any longer. Forget death. It's not even necessary the body's physical death. I'm just going to take you now. And it says that one day he disappeared because God took him. And if you look, Enoch is Adam's great, 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 such and such grandson. Adam was still alive when Enoch walked the earth. So you've got this little baby grandson and Adam's talking about walking with God. Enoch grabbed a hold of it, listened, and actually put it into action and walked it out himself. It says in, in Hebrews 11.5, It was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. For before he was taken up, he was known. See, this is the, why did God take him? It tells us the definition in the Hebrews In Hebrews 11.5, it says, because he was known as a person who pleased God. This is the place we're supposed to walk in with him. It says in Hebrews 11.6, the very next verse, it's impossible to please God without faith. And I'm inching it. How do we fall in love with him? If we will obey him naturally once we love him and not have to try, then, then that's it. Then that's what we want. Lord, if there's an easier way, yeah, there's an easier way. Fall in love with me and you won't have to try. And this is how we fall in love with him. It says that it's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. We need to understand, we need to believe not in what God can do and what God will do. If you believe in what God will do for you, if you're good, and if you believe in what God will do to you, if you're bad, if that's your belief, that's not faith. Faith is not, well, if I do this, God will do this. There's elements that we get in Christianity that says that's faith, but this is really what faith is. Faith is believing in God. It's in God, not in what God can do. And let's look. Ephesians prayer, as I promised. It says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12, Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So it's faith in Christ that brings us into his presence. Verse 16, I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then... Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Now I'm speaking slow on purpose. We put our faith. Faith is initially like this, and we all have had this story. I don't know anything about you. I heard what the preacher said. I hear what the guy's saying on the street. I hear what my husband or my wife is saying. I saw the television. I don't know a lot about you. All I know is that there's something about you, Jesus, and I want it. And we say, okay, Lord, you can have my life. I don't even know what that means yet, but I'm going to put my faith in you. The Bible says when we do that, that final. In verse 12 is that God's presence is coming, but verse 16 here now, he's actually going to start telling us about that process. He says that when you do, the Holy Spirit responds. This is this drawing near to him and him drawing near to us. In fact, it says that there was a bush burning and Moses turned aside to the burning bush and then he had an encounter with God. God shows up in your life, but just because he showed up doesn't mean anything has happened in you. What does it require of us? Us to turn, us to make the choice. Now, have you changed? Have you given up your old life yet? Absolutely not. That's why I never judge a young believer because that takes time. But what I do wanna see is have they fallen in love with Jesus? If I see that a person has fallen in love with Jesus, I never judge their character. Because I know that he's going to quickly start taking that stuff out. That's really what happens. If I see a person has come into religion, then I start praying that they fall in love with Jesus. <laughs> what I mean by religion is saying I'm trying to get right. <laughs> I'm trying to do the right thing. I never. I will always walk away with a Lord. Give them a revelation of Your love, because it says here, it says that then Christ comes, He makes a home in your hearts. As you trust in him and it's this constant back and forth it's i give you a little more of me he gives the spirit comes then i trust in him then he makes his home and it says your roots will grow down into god's love and keep you strong anybody ever seen a root system grow instantaneously I want you to say this out loud. Love, love takes, takes time. time. Amen. <laughs> How do we fall in love with Jesus? Well, when Donna and I fell in love, I felt my eyes fell in love first, right? Just like Jesus, our eyes our appetite for, wow, salvation, eternity, peace, blessings, etc. That's your eyes falling in love. That's not love yet, though, is it? Right. <laughs> but then she didn't have to tell me, hey, come over. Hey, let's go out. I just kept wanting to be around her. The more I'm around her, the more I love her. Come on, this is, again, let's bring the children in. This gospel is simple. But if it was just me working for her, <laughs> she was my boss, she was my master, and I was her slave, our relationship would be very different. But if it was, I just want to be around you. The initial thing of just being a want, you don't say, you. You instantly can, You start picturing, if it's the one, if it's a person, you start picturing what life will be like in years ahead. But you can't skip ahead, can you? That just takes time. But you have to pay the price. You have to open every door. This is very simple. One day at a time, I start revealing a little more of myself to her she starts revealing a little more of herself. See, God, (laughs) who has read God's word this week and something else jumped off the pages to you? Nobody, I guess, just me. (laughs) Just me. (laughs) He is revealing more of himself. If we don't spend time together... I don't need to say any more. Love diminishes. And that's how people get off and get weird and do crazy stuff. Just like Jesus. People bounce. They, they miss Jesus. They run from Jesus. Where'd you go? Well, one day at a time, they stop spending time with him. How do you fall in love with Jesus? First, you love what he is. But you can only fall in love with him by spending time with him, and the more time you spend with him, this is what the word says happens. It says that his love, his love starts to do something. His love, verse 18, may you have the power to understand as all people, all God's people should How wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. It says, then you will be made. I love how the NLT translates this. It says that more traditional text is, then you will have the fullness of God. But it says complete, because that's actually what the Hebrew word means, a completion. Then you will be made Complete. I love you with my capacity I can today. It's not a lot right now, Lord, because I'm human and I've got junk and I've got stuff and I've got a past, et cetera, right? That's so how we come to him. And we just keep opening the door. And he says, That's, I'm not worried about that. Just give it to me. Not worried about that. Just give it to me. And every time we give it to him, and we feel, what, what gets replaced? Every time you gave God something, what did he replace it with? More of his love. When you get to this place, it says, then you will be made complete with the fullness of life and the and a power that comes from God. At this point, <laughs> if you understand his love for you, all you want to do is love him back. This is really the amazing place to be. Love is only one-sided, but the relationship begins when two parts love each other. And that's what Jesus wants. He loves you unconditionally. What he's looking for is you to do the same thing. Just love him the same way. And then when he tells you something, you say, yes, Lord, because intimacy, there's a place in intimacy that is, there's trust. You trust each other. Doesn't mean you like everything, all the, you know, there's some iron sharpening iron going on right between the two. And Jesus doesn't need to be sharpened. He's just sharpening us. (laughs) There's some rubbing of us off and getting some of us off. And then we can come into bedchambers with him, so to speak, where we have a time where it might be singing a song to him and reading his word, and we actually are overwhelmed in the physical sense where your body feels his presence. But that is only if you just seek that at first. Is no different than somebody just in the world going and looking for that out there. That's not intimacy. That's just what the world calls intimacy. Real intimacy happened when that was the final part. And this is so amazing. I saw this picture, and I'm going to close with this. It says that it's the height, the width, the length, and the depth, right? Wide, long, high, and deep. Four-dimensional. This is really cool. God's love is four-dimensional. Only today... I couldn't even preach a sermon in the 1800s because they wouldn't even understand. But three-dimensional, if I watch a 3D movie or I look at a 3D book, the picture starts coming off the page. But I can't touch it or feel it. Come on. God wants you to know that fourth dimension of him, which is who's been on a 4D ride? Okay, all they they do, the fourth dimension is is your feelings. Your body now is connecting with that. So they blow mist at you, they move your chair, you feel wind, you feel uh, the ride actually happening. God's love is something that is not just something that you see on pages or that you can just, you can see it in creation, but it's something that, well, it's something that you can tangibly get. I can see your love. I can look at creation. I can look at children being born. I can look at love, Lord. I can understand love. But then it comes, it becomes personal. I can feel your love. When that begins to happen and you become one with the ride, come on, come on, guys, We've all glimpsed it with Jesus, but that's the place we need to live. That is the place that he's calling us to. It is a person that is worshiping him in everything they do, everywhere they go. They're worshiping in spirit and truth. It's just, that's my life. My life, you and I, it's not, I don't go to a place. That's just a very small part. Come on, we're getting the picture here. Going to a place to meet God is a small part. It's such a tiny part to the everyday life, the other 23 hours of the day. And then, because we only go to church once a week, the other six days and 23 hours. And we just only betrothed to him on one hour a day, once a week. Come on, let's think about this. I know wives wouldn't say, I don't think so. The Lord is the same way. The Lord is jealous for us, and he's looking for us to be with him 24-7. No more of this in and out. doesn't work with people. certainly does not work with God. His love is always there every time. His love never fails. Every single time, he loves us the same, right? So we see the pictures in the Old Testament where I think it was Hosea, right? He made him go marry a whore. And it's crazy. It was the word. But as a picture of people and God, in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out. Do my own thing, come back in. Worship you when it's convenient. Love you when it's convenient. The Lord's asking us to love him every single day with every part of us, everything we do. We include him in everything. We don't exclude him from any part of us. Amen? All right, let's stand and pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you are here. And I thank you, Lord, for the encounter that we've had with you, Lord. This was, Lord, a time with you. And I just pray, Lord, that the words, this is just words, just out there in the air, Lord. But I pray that it goes so much deeper. I pray that it gets planted in the name of Jesus. In fact, every seed, I command you to be planted in hearts in Jesus' name. And devil, you will not steal this word. And every distraction, every dissension, every division, everything, every hard place, every thorny bush, etc., that tries to take that word that you've given and corrupt it in Jesus' name, I command you to die, to stop, and that word is going into these hearts in the name of Jesus and being planted, and I thank you, Lord, for fruit, Lord, of love and a relationship with you in Jesus' name, amen, amen, wow.